Welcome to episode 77 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crivat, and each week I publish a new episode with a new climate champion as my guest. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you, in part, by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Todd Gloria, California State Assembly member and candidate for mayor of San Diego. In December 2016, Todd Gloria was sworn in as the California State Assembly member for the 78th Assembly District, making him only the second person of Filipino heritage ever elected to the California State Assembly. And during his two full terms on the city council, Todd was selected by his peers to serve as city council president for two terms and served as the city's interim mayor from August 2013 to March 2014. Assemblymember Gloria says the greatest environmental challenge facing San Diego is climate change. When he served as interim mayor, he introduced the city's groundbreaking climate action plan, which sets aggressive goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, which includes committing San Diego to move to 100% renewable energy by 2035. He's running for mayor so that he can now implement that plan. Our discussion was recorded before the fires that are affecting so much of the Western United States began, so we didn't discuss this devastating impact of climate change. But we did discuss COVID. Infections continue to increase many places in the world. So along with the unhealthy air, please be careful out there. And please remember, we're all in this together. While being cautious and alert, please be supportive and kind. Also, take the time to thank the people that are taking personal risks to keep our world moving forward. And if you are one of those people, thank you very, very much. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with California State Assembly member Todd Gloria. He's also a candidate for mayor of San Diego. Todd, welcome to the Climate Champions. Lee, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Can you talk about your motivating moment? What first made you want to do something to mitigate climate change? I think that I always grew up with some environmental ethics that were taught to me by my parents. I mean, their learning lesson to me and my brother were to leave the world better than you found it, which obviously is an environmental motto. But I think a pivotal moment in terms of my participation in the climate revolution is around the city's climate action plan that I helped to author. And it was sort of serendipitous because I was serving as the San Diego City Council president. We had a mayor resign. The city's charter puts the council president in the mayor seat in the meantime, and that's where I found myself. And at that same time, the city was preparing its climate action plan. And I was given the opportunity to choose what kind of plan we want to author. And given the choice to do the bare legal minimum, or to go big and to go bold was the choice that I was given. And maybe drawing upon the lessons I had growing up or living in a community like San Diego, whose natural environment is so precious, 
you may not be surprised, I chose the bigger and bolder path, one that made San Diego the largest city at the time to adopt a goal of moving to 100% renewable energy. It was something that people thought was outlandish. They thought that it was infeasible, yet we got it passed on a unanimous vote of the city council, Republicans and Democrats uniting to say we want to make San Diego a climate leader. And it's one of those situations where, particularly in public service, but in life, you're to do the most amount of good that you can at the time that you're given. And in that particular time, we had to do the climate plan, and I tried to do the most that I can. And I'm proud to see how that plan is being implemented today. And I hope to be an even bigger player in the implementation in the years ahead. The nation has really followed suit on that. It has, and, and probably so. And again, I forgive me for maybe boasting a little bit, but I think back again to those naysayers who really thought that this was just poppycock. I don't know. They just didn't think it was possible. And yet here we are uh, where multiple cities across San Diego County, the state of California, multiple other states. Uh, I'm proud to see Vice President Joe Biden has put a 100% clean energy goal in his plan. Yeah, by 2035. Yeah. Yeah. So what started here in San Diego about six years ago has now gone across the entire country. And of course, there are other places around the world that have adopted the same goal. So it's a reminder, I think, to all of us that we can do as much as we can if we push hard enough. But importantly, others will follow. I think a lot of folks know that the climate crisis is real and they're looking for bold leadership. And when they see it, they're attracted to it, they will follow, others will follow. And I just kind of humbly think that San Diego would be better off if we led more often. And I'm hoping to be the person that helps the city do that in the years ahead. You talked a little bit about your parents and raising you to leave the earth better than you found it. Are there other personal drivers that you have for wanting to mitigate climate change? (laughs) Self-interest. I want to live too. Yeah, I mean, as a native San Diegan, I can attest to the fact that the climate has changed. You know, it's my experience that I don't remember being as hot this often. I don't remember wildfires of the intensity and frequency that we have now. There's signs all around me. And what kind of person would I or anyone else be if you see these signals and don't do something about it? So there is admittedly some self-preservation that's involved in this. But Lee, I will tell you, as a proud uncle, I think about my nieces and nephews. I watch them now virtually, but I watch them living their lives, you know, the youngest six years old. What kind of world are we going to leave them? And when I'm old and retired and hopefully they're coming to visit me at the home, they're going to ask me, what did you do? And I want to have an affirmative defense, if you will, for what I did. This is not going to be solved just by my generation. Their generation is going to have to do their fair share. It's going to take a long time to get out of this mess we've gotten ourselves into, but we can't delay action. So I'm trying to do the level best that I can today as a state legislator, in the past as a city council member, and hopefully in the future as the mayor of the eighth largest city in this country to lead on climate. And then to be able to look my nieces and nephews in the eye and say, this is what I did. What are you going to do about it? and hope they carry on that torch and move it forward. You made me laugh when you said, at the home. <laughs> Is that what you think you're going to end up? <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm a long-term, I'm a planner. That's just kind of how I am. <laughs> I these things out. <laughs> when you meet people that don't believe the science or don't agree with you that the weather is changing or that humans aren't responsible, how do you try to convince them otherwise? It's a great question, Lee. In the course of my career in elected office, I think earlier on, I was very much in a position of facing people who didn't believe it, right? I think your word choice was right. I think now those who deny it do it because it's inconvenient. And that's a harder thing to address. Belief is not easy, right? But you can provide data, facts, trusted third-party sources to help get there. What I observe increasingly are folks who simply don't want to own up to this particular problem and the many difficult choices that they present us. 
And so the way I kind of think about that most specifically is in the transportation space. When you start addressing issues of parking, of bicycle lanes, things that seemingly maybe not so significant, but I have to tell you, Lee, are some of the more difficult political issues I've come across. When you say this is a part of what we must do if we want to address the worst impacts of climate change, they kind of go running screaming, no, don't tell me, don't tell me. You know? <laughs> and that's hard. I find that hard to do. So it requires those of us to certainly be patient with those who may not be as familiar with the information, but then I think to be really impatient with those who simply just don't want to level with what the reality is and how you can look at the news on almost a daily basis and get very obvious signals that this is a real thing. And I've witnessed them saying, well, the science is out now. Well, you know, I'm not a scientist. Well, you know what? I'm not a scientist, Lee, and I know that this is a thing, and they should too. I've had a number of guests that have explained it pretty simply. So even if you're not a scientist, you can understand the basics of what's going on. Well, absolutely. I mean, how many things in your day do you interact with that you're not a professional or Olympic level, whatever? I mean, I'm a decent driver, but I'm not going to be on the NASCAR circuit, but I can figure out how to navigate my way around my community. Again, I question the self-preservation component of this and why more folks don't rush toward being climate activists, but then look at our current pandemic and recognize that there are plenty of things that people should and ought to be doing or are being asked to do, um, and they're not doing it. It's maybe a more short-term example of this sort of denial that we have to stand up against because it's our fate as well, right? We're all intertwined. Can you talk about how you go about mitigating climate change in your role as assembly member? And if you want, you could talk about what you think you'd be doing if you were elected mayor. In my time in the legislature, I've tried to be the best vote I can possibly be on climate and on the environment. And I've been proud of the votes that I've taken in the report cards that we get. People think report cards are just for kids, but legislators get scorecards all the time from the Sierra Club to legal conservation voters environmental justice groups and others, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find records that are better than mine. And that's simply, again, living out your values, right? If I understand that climate is a thing, then you better vote accordingly. And I'm proud that we are in a state like California that's interested in leading on climate change and being a part of efforts to improve fuel economy standards, move to electric vehicles, create smarter communities, smart growth communities, recognizing that housing is a major component of this. And my co-authorship of Senate Bill 100, which is what got California to go on this path towards 100% renewable energy. So that is largely how I lived that out. I think going forward, Lee, what I would say is that I'm proud to have been the person that wrote the city's landmark climate action plan when I was mayor before. And I'd like the opportunity to be mayor again in order to implement that plan. While I acknowledge the current administration at City Hall does support the climate action plan, I do think that its faithful implementation is not what I'd like it to be. I think it's what a lot of our climate activists and stakeholder groups don't would like it to be. I think they're looking for a true climate champion to spend the next number of years working on implementation of this plan, and I hope to be that person. I personally think we've wasted some time because the amount of carbon and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is additive. And so the longer we wait, the more we're putting out there. It's not just having a goal of 100%. It's how quick can you make an impact? That's so true. Let me give you maybe a smaller example of that. You know, when I was on the city council, I was alluding a moment ago to the tough fights around bike lanes and parking spaces. And when I represented the third council district, voting to support the uptown community bike plan, the mid-city community bike plan, the downtown mobility plan, plans that envision world-class protected bike lanes throughout those multiple communities, I voted on those years ago. And only small segments of those are currently in place. 
And that kind of slow go approach is not going to help the city meet its obligations under its climate action plan or obligations to the climate in general. And so to the extent that we have a form of government here where the mayor is capable of directing city staff to move forward with projects, I think you will see a very strong approach to this and other parts of our climate plan going forward if I'm given the opportunity to serve. You mentioned the pandemic. What kind of impact has it had and what kind of impact do you imagine it having on your ability to mitigate climate change? Well, it is a bit concerning in the sense that I think we often feel like we have to fight to keep climate in the top of people's minds. One of the things I've observed is that it seemingly is more on the top of people's minds as they, again, observe what's around them. And the major firestorms all across the state of California and around the world, you know, I think people get it, but it's, of course, always in battle with more bread and butter issues, things that are immediate concerns. Can I make the rent? Can I put food on the table or gas in the car or charging up the car? The point is this, with the pandemic being the now number one priority issue, followed closely by the economy, these can often take up a lot of bandwidth if you will, in terms of part of the civic conversation. And so it is incumbent upon advocates and leaders to make sure that we continue to make space for this climate conversation. We will defeat COVID-19. Our economy will come back again. But to your point about how quickly or not we attack the issue of climate change is going to be now, right? And I'm a strong believer in the ability to multitask. I'm sure you have multiple irons in the fire even as we speak. The fact that some in public policy don't understand that or don't want to do that, I think, again, is often an excuse. But what I'm sitting here saying is that, yes, we must work on multiple fronts to address the priority issues. And interestingly, when it comes to climate, I think that these dovetail extremely nicely with the concerns, the day-to-day concerns of San Diegans, of Californians. Meaning to say, the lack of affordable housing is a primary, immediate concern of many San Diegans. And of course, as you, I'm sure, know, our ability to make sure that we're building housing that is close into jobs and infrastructure that helps support a transportation, public transportation system, these are all connected. These are connected issues. And so we can work on the housing crisis while simultaneously advancing our climate goals. So I'm a big believer in this ability to multitask. I think the 21st century demands it of leadership. And we're going to need to do that going forward. So I would just say that we as climate advocates have to keep this issue on the front burner. And that's why I'm grateful to have this opportunity to talk with you. Because again, acknowledging full well, people are concerned about their personal health, their personal finances, but the climate is still out there and we have to act accordingly. Can you talk about your journey? How did you get where you are today? I like to tell people I'm proud to be a third generation San Diegan. I was born and raised here, I'm the son of two working class folks who raised me with all the right morals and values. In terms of my journey to public office, there's a couple of key points along the way. One of them was my participation in something called the Aaron Price Fellows Program. It was a youth mentoring program that I got myself into when I was 14 years old. And it paired me up with a woman named Susan Davis. And she has been my lifelong mentor at the time she was running that nonprofit organization. Now she is a member of Congress, finishing 20 years of service in the U.S. House of Representatives. And you might imagine that a young kid from San Diego with two working class parents who were registered to vote until I registered them many, many years later. Meeting Susan at that young age was transformative to my experience and having her assistance and understanding this interest I had in or have in public affairs and government in my community and giving me ways to find productive outlets to that. Campaigning for other candidates, getting involved in issues. I became a housing activist relatively early in my time. And these were all paths that just sort of led me to 
a day where my city council seat was becoming available because of term limits. And some people told me, hey, we think you should run for city council. And I was a young guy and I was probably the first to count myself out thinking that wasn't going to be for me. That wasn't for people like me. But eventually I was able to be convinced that maybe I should give it a shot and I ran, I won. And here I am 12 years later, having spent over a decade waking up every day with the sole mission of making my hometown a better place to live. I feel blessed. I feel so fortunate to have had the career that I have with that mission. I feel fulfilled. I wake up every morning happy to do what I do. Even in times as dark as these, I'm still grateful for this chance to have a career in public service. I hope to keep doing this for a long time. Can you talk about some setbacks that you had along the way? (laughs) You're laughing. Well, you know, politics is a rough and tumble business, right? And probably the most significant one, the one that many may remember is that As I mentioned before, I served as the city council president of San Diego and served for eight months as the city's interim mayor. And I left that role and went back to the city council in spring of 2014. And by that December, I had been removed as city council president. And the reason for that, Lee, was that I would argue that I was too effective, that there were interests in and around city hall that didn't like that I was pushing an aggressive climate action plan that I was standing up to environmental injustice in the community of Barrio Logan, that I was fighting for an increase to the minimum wage and the provision of paid sick days for San Diego workers. These were perceived as threats to some, and as a consequence, despite the strong performance I gave as interim mayor, uh, a few months later, I was no longer the city council president. And that was a setback. The problem sometimes in politics is that our mistakes are on the front page, our setbacks are out for the public to see. And as someone who has worked extremely hard to move forward, it was hard to have a setback like that. But it didn't take long for me to recognize that if the reason I had to endure this experience of being removed as city council president was because a quarter of a million San Diegans got a pay raise, or that 350,000 of them finally got paid sick days, that the people who live in Barrio Logan, who have elevated levels of asthma and other health conditions because they're forced to live in a polluted environment, or because I take the climate crisis seriously. If finding progress on those issues, it was necessary to give up a title, I'd do it every single day, no question. So it was a setback, but it's one we've rebounded from. And I'm pleased to say that most of those initiatives were adopted, are now law. And we have some unfinished business in Barrio Logan, which I'm looking forward to try and fix if I get to be the next mayor. In this business, I always tell people, call me Todd, because I don't get too wedded to my titles. Just made me even more resolved to make sure that we got progress on those key issues. Making change is not for the faint of heart. You have to really stick your neck out there. And sometimes, based on a set of circumstances, it gets cut off. But if you are a person that needs to make change and understands where we need to get to, you can't help but push. No, you can't. And obviously, since the pandemic, I've had a lot of time to reflect on the fact that we were only able to provide three paid sick days back when we passed this ordinance. But when people are having to make really difficult decisions about whether or not to go to work and risk being sick or being able to stay home, or if they are sick, to be able to stay home and recuperate, you can imagine that I feel pretty good about having pushed that issue. And I'll never forget, it wasn't long after the minimum wage finally went into effect. I was getting my car washed. And as I was picking up my keys, the worker said to me, you're the guy with the minimum wage, right? And yeah. And he's like, thank you. It makes a lot of difference to my family. I work really hard and I appreciate you. And that's all it takes. That's the joy of public service to be able to work on an idea or bill an ordinance and see it unfold in the community and impact people's lives positively. If that gentleman could better provide for his family, that makes this work worthwhile. That's a beautiful reason to get recognized in this crazy world where people get recognized for all sorts of negative reasons. 
That's really beautiful. Can you talk about the successes you're most proud of? And I think you kind of did, but if you want to add a couple, go for it. Well, I think those are that. You know, listen, the minimum wage is exactly that. It's a minimum wage, right? But if you grow up the way that I did, you know, you think a lot about what it takes to make ends meet in a city as expensive as San Diego. So I don't think it's any surprise that I would push that issue. And I'm grateful for the fact that hundreds of thousands of people's lives were improved because of it. Now in the legislature, I get to make laws on behalf of the 40 million Californians that I'm honored to serve. And we have been able to pass significant pieces of legislation. One of the most recent ones from a climate perspective is a major reform to our local air pollution control district. Some of your subscribers may be aware that we have some pretty bad air quality here in San Diego. I think a function of that is the fact that we have an air pollution control district that I think has not been as aggressive as we need them to be in order to protect our air quality. And so this reform of that agency, I'm not offended by the fact that I'm sure most San Diegans do not know what the air pollution control district is, but I think that they're able to look out their window and see a haze and want that to change. And so pushing that legislation was not easy. It required a lot of work with different stakeholders, with polluters who were very concerned about what we're up to and community members who had not had a voice in this process for a very long time. But we got that bill through the legislature, signed by the governor, and it goes into effect next spring. And I look forward to seeing how that unfolds, that communities who previously would not have their complaints about air quality taken seriously or even acted upon, that's going to change. And that's the kind of stuff that really makes this work so very rewarding. And there's dozens and dozens of more bills like that. I think going forward, I really want to be someone who, again, implements our climate action plan, but more broadly speaking, as I referenced before, really leads the city. I think that San Diego too often is a big city that likes to operate like a small town. And that sort of mentality actually exacerbates many of the problems that average San Diegans deal with every day. The fact that we are the eighth largest city in the United States with the fifth largest homeless population in this country, that we sit in mind-numbing traffic and we don't have a world-class transportation system, and that we continue to have a housing affordability crisis that really says to broad swaths of San Diegans, there's not a place for you here anymore. And so I'm more focused on not what I've done in the past, but what I can do in the future. And the goal, of course, is to join the ranks of cities across the nation that have ended chronic homelessness, be a city with a world-class transportation system that gives commuters real choices when it comes from getting from A to B, and be in a city where we're building the kind of housing, not housing anywhere, not McMansions out in the backcountry, not high skyscrapers on the coastline, but housing that working people can afford. If we, at the end of hopefully two, four-year terms, can say that working people have a place for themselves here in San Diego, I think that would be a major accomplishment. As you said before, a lot of these issues tie in together. As you solve one, you need to really solve another. And it's probably best to plan on solving them all as you march down the road. Well, as you move forward with, say, housing production, that you do it with homes that are sustainable. That when you look at building communities, that you do it with protected bikeways and great pedestrian infrastructure, that we consider our water and energy impacts for these things. It's all intertwined. It just requires a level of thoughtfulness that, frankly, I think the times we're living in really demand. And I think San Diegans are up for it. I think San Diegans are ready for this. I know that I'm ready and I'm hopeful to be the one that leads them to do it. Can you talk about your vision for the future, your vision for San Diego, your vision for the U.S., your vision for the world when it comes to climate change? What, what do things look like? I'm a big believer in think globally, act locally. So I'll leave it to people at higher pay grades to think about what the nation and world can do. But I believe passionately and fervently that San Diego has to do its part. 
And I think we've already seen that when San Diego engages on this matter, people will listen and people will follow and people will replicate what we do. And so I think my vision for our city would be that 20 or 30 years from now, that we have a public transportation system that matches the big city that we are. Best example I can give you of the inadequacy of our current situation is that we have a light rail system and an international airport that are literally next to one another, but they don't connect. I'm working on legislation in Sacramento right now to try and fix that, to try and incentivize the creation of light rail transit access to our airport. The time horizon for this is, is right because, as you know, these infrastructure projects can take a really, really long time. But much like the climate crisis, the time to act is now. The sooner we act, the sooner we will realize the benefits of our action. So I think 20 or 30 years from now, a situation where we have a transportation network that is more reflective of a world-class city, like I believe San Diego is, that we have beautiful neighborhoods that are active and vibrant and places where people want to be, where you actually have the chance and the opportunity to maybe work in the community where you live, that you can shop in the community where you live. I think many San Diegans live in a wonderful neighborhood that they love a lot, but they have to leave their neighborhood for everything that they want and need. And that should change. And that climate action ends up being the kind of the tip of the spear, if you will. When you think about a transportation system and a housing plan, the Venn diagram of that is climate, right? And so making sure we center this agenda on this issue of climate, again, acknowledging that many of the concerns that are present front of mind concerns today, we will tackle, but the climate will continue to be with us. And that's why for something of the horizon, what you're describing, we have to put it in the center. And if we do, I think we actually achieve more public benefit out of it than simply just building a lot of roads, a lot of housing, a lot of condos. The, the focus ought to be on creating a more sustainable community, one that preserves our climate, protects the natural environment that we so proudly boast about here in San Diego. I asked you about how the pandemic affected your job and what you can do how do you think the pandemic will impact the future of San Diego? Well, it remains to be seen. I mean, I was a history major in college, and I think about these things from that lens. So, you know, we had a hepatitis A outbreak here in San Diego in 2017, where 20 people died of hepatitis and over 500 people were infected. And I think that, again, that history major in me is always looking for lessons learned and a desire to not replicate bad things, right? And so I actually carried a bill in the legislature to provide more community input or more transparency in data and a legal mandate for public health agencies to share that data with cities in order to help them respond to these crises. And I would humbly suggest that that more modest outbreak of 2017 has helped us to manage this current outbreak where you can go to the county's website right now and get a host of information about the zip codes where these infections are taking place. If we're saying that we're going to have this response be led by data and by science, part of how we do that is make the data and science available to the public. And so I'm hopeful that much like 2017 was illustrative and informative, and we are using those experiences to improve our experiences right now, obviously with a lot of room for improvement, but we're improving where we're at now. I would hope that on the back end of this, that we put health more in the center of our conversation. I think particularly at the municipal level, there's a temptation to say that healthcare is not what cities do. That's the county and the state and the federal government's responsibility, but not the municipal government. I humbly disagree. If you don't have your health, you don't have much of a community, right? And if I can just kind of get on a bit of a soapbox for just a moment, while COVID-19 obviously is a serious, serious virus, a component part of this pandemic is the mental health impacts of it. 
And while not all of us will become COVID positive, I think all of us will be impacted by the mental health concerns that come from this long-term shutdown, the economic impacts our families may be feeling, and then the long-term impacts of isolation, depression, anxiety, other things like that. And so I'm mindful that if I'm fortunate enough to win this election, I'll be presiding over a major American city that will be in a recovery mode, not just economically and physically, but mentally. To your question about what's this look like going forward, I hope that maybe a part of this process by being deliberate and really putting that in the dialogue that we're having, um, that we can tear down some of the stigma that our culture has around mental illness And then as a consequence that we avoid some of the more horrible things that may happen if we aren't more intentional about our response to this. The potential for increases in suicide and domestic violence and child abuse, the list goes on and on. These are horrible things that understandably may be eclipsed in the daily headlines as we consider people being put on ventilators, ICUs being overwhelmed, et cetera, et cetera. But I know there's a lot of people who may be listening to this and thinking, I'm feeling that, but I'm... I have been told that my mental health is not the same as my physical health. And I'm here trying to tell people it is the same. Mental health is essential health care. And maybe we can be a community that gets that right. And much like the Climate Action Plan, maybe we can export a better approach to this to other communities in the years ahead. 100% agree with you. I know a lot of people that have told me, and even I am feeling like my health diminished because of my mental inability to deal with everything going on. Now, I have it pretty easy compared to most, but a lot of people I know don't. And it's a struggle out there for a lot of people. Well, Lee, I appreciate you putting that on the table. And and I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm a people person. I'm used to a go-go schedule where I'm meeting folks and interacting. And I get energy from that. And so this self-isolation has been difficult on me. And the way I've chosen to manage that is, you know, I, I make a point of going out on daily walks, you know, get some get some sunshine, get some fresh air. Like you, I'm in a blessed position. I, I don't want to make it out any differently but it does impact all of us. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. And there's no shame in that. And there's help that is out there. And so I appreciate Let me put this plea out there because again, I recognize our culture is one where we're not to talk about this issue. But like you said, everyone is feeling it. And if you're feeling it, I'm hopeful that people feel empowered to do something about it. What's the one thing that you think a person can do to help mitigate climate change? They need to vote. They need to vote this November. I recognize... I'm a politician and folks are like, of course he's gonna say that, but honestly, the folks who are sitting in these seats have tremendous impact over what gets prioritized and what gets done. And so let's go back to the story I started with. If you didn't have someone who believes climate change is a thing and wants to do something about it, and that person was posed with the same question I was given of do you wanna do the bare minimum when it comes to climate action plans or do you wanna go big and go bold? That's the difference is in this election. And people naturally gravitate to the federal election. And I understand that. And obviously the stakes there are pretty high, couldn't be higher, frankly. And particularly on this issue of climate, where you have a candidate that knows that it's something and then one who thinks it's a hoax from China. Everything goes back to China with this guy. But it's also at the state and local level. And the question about, again, are you gonna have a mayor that's gonna prioritize implementation of a climate action plan or not? Are you gonna have a mayor that's willing to get into the weeds on transportation policy and housing policy in order to make sure that these overlapping issues that, again, center on climate actually move forward or not. So forgive perhaps maybe the expected answer, but it is expected because it is true. People must vote. And we've talked about vote like your life matters because it does vote because the climate is on the ballot this election. And 
We need people from the White House on down prioritizing this issue to make up for the lost time that we've had over the last four years or so on this most critical of issues. It's interesting that you say vote as your one thing. I've gotten that response from many people who are not politicians without even asking what the one thing is. Just on their own, they say it's super important that people vote. So it's not just because you're a politician. That's encouraging. And again, it's because it's true. Do you have any questions for me? In this time that we're in, where we're so limited in what we can do and where we go, I've had the opportunity to participate in a lot of podcasts. And actually, I really like it, right? I'm a policy wonk. I'm a nerd. I love talking to smart people and getting stuff. So I'm curious, what prompted you to choose to do this, right? It's an amazing platform. It's a cool thing to do. But obviously, not everyone does it. What made you want to do it? I have a passion to help mitigate climate change. I felt working at the utility wasn't cutting it. And I talk pretty well. <laughs> I also do improv comedy. And so I'm pretty quick on my feet. I figured I would give it a go, and I'm very glad I did. I'm enjoying it very much. I also have a huge network, so I was able to tap that network for guests initially. Now I have a lot of guests coming to me, so it's pretty exciting. Well, you're glad you did it. I'm glad you did it. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say? It's refreshing to be able to talk about this issue that's so important. Much of my time is spent on the pandemic currently and our economic recovery, and that's understandable, but we must keep this issue in the forefront. I'm grateful that you're helping me do that. Thank you. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. Your parents said, what makes the world go round? It means to leave the world better than you found it. One of the reasons that I am a fan is because you wrote the city's climate action plan in the future. I hope we're not living under a dome. You can tell your nephews and nieces you helped when they visit you at the home about the linkage of the pandemic and climate I did ask. You said, don't forget the economy. I have to multitask. I'm sure that Susan Davis was proud when you first won, she and all the other people that said that you should run. You remember a man clinging your car. He said, oh my gosh, you're the guy who got minimum wage passed at the car wash. Because clean air for all is your goal, you fought to reform air pollution control. You want to learn and share with cities across the nation how we can import world-class public transportation. The Earth's future, to you, might be a bit of a mystery, but you know we should learn from the past because you majored in history. There are a lot of people that adore you. I know they are all rooting for you. If you win, there will be euphoria. Good luck, Todd Gloria. <laughs> oh my God, you do do improv. <laughs> Favorite quote from Todd, hey, he said he's not attached to titles and folks can call him Todd, was, I ran, I won, and here I am 12 years later, having spent over a decade waking up every day with the sole mission of making my hometown a better place to live. And I'm glad that part of making San Diego a better place to live is by reducing greenhouse gases. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, Visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it.
when we talked about setbacks, Todd talked about no longer being city council president after being interim mayor and how fighting for change can be risky to your career. But this isn't a time for playing it safe. So thank you, thank you to all the risk takers out there for taking risks, not playing it safe, and helping to mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.